But the conflict as we know it right now will end because uh, at a certain point, Israel, look, they're balancing their operational requirements uh, and sort of the, the, the knowledge that this, you know, this can't stand, right? They can't allow it to happen again, certainly. So they're balancing their operational requirements and their tactics with what, you know, the, the, the international pressure, you know, to, to stop at some point. And again, they have to make that decision. Hello again and welcome to this week explains bonus conversation series insightful inquiries. We took a bit of a hiatus, but now we're back and ready to delve into the critical issues shaping our world today. As you can tell from the voice you're hearing, this is Kervin. We have a truly special episode in store for you. This month we invited Mike Baker back to the podcast. He's a former covert field operations officer for the Central Intelligence Agency chairman and CEO of the Portman Group, and you also may recognize him as the current host of the President's Daily Brief podcast. He brings a unique perspective and years of experience to our conversation. This episode is going to dive into all the geopolitical events over the past few months, from the ongoing Israel-Hamas conflict to the challenges of trust within the intelligence community and the national security implications of our internal divisiveness. We'll also be exploring China's plans for Taiwan, which is a topic of great concern on the global stage. So buckle up for a thought-provoking and insightful conversation. All right. Welcome back. Uh, The host of the number one podcast and news commentary on Spotify, Mike Baker. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Thank you. Getting right to the heart of the matter with the plug for the President's Daily Brief. I appreciate that. So, oh, two-time daily listen for me because I, I do the morning and the afternoon. So it's that's just fantastic. Big time. I I appreciate that. Yeah, I got I got news yesterday. The uh, the folks that, who uh, who run the show sent me a note saying that we're we're now we're number four on Spotify overall. So it's oh wow the uh, the rankings that they had were Trevor Noah, then Joe Rogan, and that seems out of whack because Joe should be up top all the time. And then Travis and, and his brother, what, Jordan Kelsey? Uh, oh, yeah, the, the Kelsey brothers. Kelsey um, brothers. And then the PDB, then the President's yeah. Daily Brief, and then Theo Vaughn. So, you're, uh, you're beating oh, wow. the Swifties. Oof, or you're, man, you're, you're, you should be. I'm coming up fast on the Swifties. I think if I, I might just, you know, if once once Taylor sees that I've overtaken Travis, she'll probably dump him. And yeah. then, you know, undoubtedly, uh, she's going to start pestering me. So oh, stay away. He's got another album coming up, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. I'm like, it's good to have you on, man, because uh, the world's crazy right now. Yeah, there's a couple of things going on. Yeah, yeah, it's just just a few. Yeah. Um, and and our audience is very, very much a geopolitics, uh, intelligence based podcast. So it's you're the perfect guest to to break all this down because they hear me so, droning. So you don't. So you don't want to talk about Taylor Swift anymore. So we can't. You want to get into Taylor Swift and why that, why why the Swifties are taking us into World War Three? We can do. We can have that conversation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Travis knows I do not want to get into Taylor Swift. So so I'm just making that point so he doesn't come after me. Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. Are, are you a Chiefs fan at all? You know what? I am not. Yeah. I'm a Giants fan, and I so I live with disappointment. Wow. Uh, but it's so okay. They've got a good uh, mobster at quarterback now, so that's that's good. <laughs> so he lives in his mom's basement. I know it's a pretty good story. <laughs> so, anyway, but yeah, we'll kick it. We'll kick it right off with. Um, well, let's start with just with Israel Hamas, and uh, since I mean, it's I know it's been a while. It, it's been over a month. We're going on two months and a couple weeks. But um, I mean, what was your initial reaction? Well, I mean the. You know, there was there's a lot of, a lot of parts there, but um, you know, first and foremost, which is what everybody focused on, you know, in, in the immediate aftermath, and by that I mean the you know, like the evening of the day it happened, uh, was the intelligence failure. Oh my God, how could this happen? Right? Well, you know, that's a that's a complex question. Um, you know, we can we can go into that. Uh, the reality is, it happened, and it was an intelligence failure. Uh, but the other, you know, the next part of it was just the sheer brutality of it. I mean, you know, we're used to seeing some medieval behavior from, from ISIS and some others. And, you know, so we shouldn't be shocked necessarily, but just the sheer scale of it all and, and it's, and it's brutality was, uh, was, was just got off. Right. And then the, 
kind of the next part was, I mean, if you've if you've been dealing with Middle East terrorism, and particularly if you've been dealing with the question of Hamas um, and you know Israel for any period of time, you knew where this was going to go. You know, you knew that as soon as Israel started to respond, and you had some dead Palestinian civilians, that the narrative would change almost you know immediately to uh, you know condemnation of Israel. Right. So, but the reality is, is it, it changed even faster than I think any of us thought it would, right? Because it was such an awful slaughter and they took all those hostages, including little, little kids and babies, right? And you thought, okay, well, they'll give Israel a bit of time, you know, to do what they need to do, which is degrade or, you know, destroy Hamas. Well, it moved very quickly and probably even faster than Hamas expected. Right, Hamas knows what they're what what they're expecting. They know they were going to get this narrative, and that's why they embed themselves with civilians because they expect dead civilians, and they count on dead civilians. I hate to say that, but you know, there's no other way to put it. Right, that's their currency, and so I think they even they were probably surprised at how quickly the international community started pounding on Israel, saying, "Oh my God, look what you're doing." So it, that that was that was the next part, and and now it's just a matter of when you look at. The situation, you think, okay, now Israel does have to make a decision at a certain point, and only they can make that decision, right? They're on the ground there. They've got the best intelligence at this point. Only they can make the decision as to when they feel they've degraded Hamas to the point where Hamas can not again govern Gaza and cannot conduct terrorist activities like this again. Because believe them at their word, Hamas said they will do this over and over again. So you know, that is about all you need to know about Hamas and all you need to know about how the Israeli government feels about what their objective has to be. Yeah. And so for me, the interest, the really interesting thing is, like you said, how quickly the narrative changed, but that the narrative then became resistance by all means, meaning, well, what Hamas did, as tragic as it was, was required because you have a colonialist Zionist nation that's looking to to carry out a genocide on an entire Palestinian um, population race, the, the entire Arab world. And so it got in my head thinking, you know, as an Intel guy going, who's running this information operation right. campaign? And it sounded a lot like um my initial reaction was, well, it's probably Iranian because they're they're an Iranian proxy. But looking at the narrative and then seeing the narrative being posted by very similar account or by the same accounts that are promoting Russian narratives for the Ukraine, the yeah. war in Ukraine, that got me thinking, well, could this be some sort of, of ploy by Russia to get, get, get Israel and, and Hamas involved, get everybody off of the Russia Ukraine track and and maybe that pushes Zelensky to the table gets a peace deal uh and Putin can then have that that sliver of land he says he took back for Russia. Yeah. Well, I mean I think the 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 answer is probably it's all of the above. Look, there's so Iran uh, you know and Hamas Hamas has, has been very capable of this and they've got their own disinformation, you know, operation that 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 pushes out what they want to push and then kind of works to suppress uh, pro-Israel narratives. The Iranian regime does the same. They're very active in that and they direct most of what Hamas does. Look, Hamas wouldn't exist without Iran. And But the answer is that also, yes, the Russian you know, uh, apparatus is doing this. The, China, the Chinese regime's apparatus is doing it through their, their incredibly well-resourced disinformation uh, operations. So they're all doing it. They're all pushing the same narrative because it ultimately, you know, comes back to you know, U.S. support for Israel and anything we can do to denigrate Israel in the U.S. That's, you know, from the Russian perspective, the Chinese perspective, the Iranian and their toadies, the Hamas, that's a good thing. So they're all in there, right, pushing uh, and, and amplifying messages and supporting uh, anti-Israel messages. Uh, they're all in there pushing and, and suppressing pro-Israeli comment. Uh, you know, and people, you know, they know what they're going to get, right? The, the, all those people operating those disinformation campaigns, no, they've 
they've got a bottomless well of, of useful idiots out there, you know, and who are just looking for a reason to go out on the street. You know, some of them just love a good time and want to get out and protest. Uh, right. A lot of them couldn't find Gaza on a map if you opened it up to a map of Gaza, circled it with a Sharpie. Um, so, you know, they know what they're going to get. They, uh, you know, Again, I think they're probably surprised at the, the speed with which it turned, but they knew they could anticipate and, and they knew they could count on that happen. Yeah, so so then from a Mike Baker perspective, what's the end game? You know, where where do you yeah. see this ending, if at all? Well, it'll end. Right? I mean, this conflict, I mean, you know, and by that, I mean, we're not going to, it's not going to end with, you know, a peace, you know, deal and, you know, happiness right. and, and sunshine in the region. But the conflict as we know it right now will end because uh, at a certain point, Israel, look, they're balancing their operational requirements uh, and sort of the, the the knowledge that this, you know, this can't stand, right? They can't allow it to happen again, certainly. So they're balancing their operational requirements and their tactics with what, you know, the, the, the international pressure, you know, to to stop at some point. And again, they have to make that decision. But they're calculating that now, even as we speak, you know, at what point have we degraded them enough? Right. And they got there's a lot of moving parts there because it's not just, you know, from a tactical perspective. Have we have we, you know, taken care of the, the Hamas command structure and have we killed enough of their fighters? Have we have we denigrated them so badly? But they've also got to worry about, OK, what backfills it? Right. And right. Uh, the answer is not the U.N. U.N.'s completely useless. Um, well, well, the U.N.'s come out pretty much pro-Palestine. Yeah. They are in agreement that, you know, basically Israel should not exist and, and Palestine should, the, the Palestinians should take over. Well, look, Iran now chairs a UN human rights forum. I mean, think about it. about an oxymoron. Think about how insane that is, right? I mean, yeah. it's actually insane that, that Putin has waged war on Ukraine and, 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 you know, has just set up this meat grinder out in Ukraine and Russia still sits on the, you know, permanent Security Council, right? I mean, there's a I lot. Mean, they were president of the Security Council as yeah. they yeah. were it's taking a position, and yet they, right. you know, they don't actually have to do that. They could say, you know, what? We're putting you on hiatus right now. Right. You know, but, but the fact that they, they're okay with Iran chairing a human rights form of all things, right, is, is insane, and that's kind of all you need to know about the UN. So the UN, you know, the idea that they would be the ones who govern Gaza or somehow or you know, sane people look at that and go, well, that's, that's not going to work, right? I mean, you have right. members of the UN refugee office celebrating what took place on the 7th of October, staffers, right? So then the question is, okay, now what? The U.S. is pushing for the Palestinian Authority, right, under Mahmoud Abbas to, to kind of unite, you know, and, and look, Hamas, you know, violently, you know, chucked uh, the PA out of Gaza mm -hmm. back in uh, six or seven. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of animosity, right? Yeah, Abbas yeah. stopped elections because he knew, you know, Hamas at the time had 70% support within yeah. Palestine. Yeah. But if you look at the numbers now, I mean, you know, and you always have to take every poll out in that region with a grain of salt. Right. But it's not like Hamas or the, the Palestinian Authority, you know, have overwhelming support from the population, right? I mean, there's a lot of people in Gaza who are like, Exactly what has Hamas done for us, you know, ever since they took over, right? It's been, right. Uh, you know, at this point, that's new math for me, but 17 years or so of governing, they've done absolutely nothing for the people of Gaza in terms of it bettering their lives, right? Meanwhile, members of Hamas are living the good life and, you know, have squirreled away billions in their personal bank accounts, siphoned off from money intended for the betterment of the Palestinian people. So there's... There's a lot of complexity when you say who's going to take over once this conflict ends. And Israel doesn't want a long-term occupation. You know, they've got no interest in that. That's why they only got out 17 years ago. Right. But you got to have a, a, a reasonable alternative to that. And it's, so it's not in the U.S. administrations. It's not up to U.S. administration to say, no, you can't occupy. No, temporarily, they're going to have to ensure the stability and peace while somebody comes up with an appropriate, likely two-state solution that everybody can accept. But do you think the Palestinians ever uh, truly accept 
a two-state solution because I, I believe that was Egypt's concern about taking in Palestinian refugees. They had some issues with... It's a good question. It's a really good question. I think the Arab world is, has done very little to help the Palestinians. Um, I think the Arab world has used the Palestinian problem to uh, you know, their own advantage and for their own purposes over the years. Um, you know, the Arab world unanimously you know, condemned the idea of a two-state solution the last time it was proposed. So I think, um, you know, I, it's a good question. You know, I mean, who's going to accept it? You know, because if you if you accept that two state solution, then you're saying Israel has the right to exist. And then over the top of all of that, you've got Iran who will never allow that. Right. They'll never right. Iran, the, at least the regime. I'm not talking about the Iranian people, the Iranian regime. They're never going to get themselves to a point where they go, oh, right, you're right. Israel has a right to exist, right? <laughs> They're always going to be looking to shit on Trump. Right. So then why doesn't um, why, why doesn't Israel do their own information operation campaign? They're kind of doing that right now, showing the videos of mm. uh, Hamas tunnels. And even that's kind of getting some pushback um, for, from a lot of people because yeah. they believe what Hamas says. Hamas says that's not those are not tunnels and. Then you have Al Jazeera that's just, you know, parroting what Hamas is telling. Quite honestly, every every media source I've been reading has parroted what Hamas is saying, whether it's numbers of those killed in in Gaza. Right. So so how does Israel, if you if you were at the head of Mossad or the the Israeli government. And who's to say that I'm not? Well, okay. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna force you to answer. <laughs> so we all, yeah, we we also know that you're the one that's collecting on Joe Rogan um, for the United States, uh, so that so that we can get information from him to push a narrative. Yeah, that's always my favorite, right? I always get, I always, I always get like the wild ones after after an appearance with Joe. But it's like, oh my God, it's that fucking CIA handler again. And I'm like, oh, it's yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever makes you happy, fella, but. Uh, you know what? It's and look. Going back to your question, um, and and how the narrative is played out, and who's you know supported Hamas. You remember a few days after that incredibly, incredibly brutal slaughter on the seventh October. A few days later, right there was that uh, that explosion. You know, at the, yeah, hospital. the hospital, and Hamas says, "Ah, oh, Israel is is targeting hospitals and and with airstrikes, and they've killed you know over five hundred people." There was no fact check by major Western and U.S. outlets, media sites. They, they, New York Times, other, they just ran with what Hamas told them, despite Hamas having just finished beheading and killing. A, what they did was god awful, right? Oh, by the way, at the same time, they were taking Hamas at their word that they didn't do it. Yes, we didn't behead babies. We didn't do that, and then video evidence came out and do right. not google do not try to go find that uh i would i would not want to talk to the person that would want to go out and see those videos yeah um, oh i know it's it's it is you know and, and so hey at least hamas did did the world a favor by videoing their own with their body cams and their phones you know videoing their own brutality so you know at least there was a, a sort of an acceptance after that right that oh well all right maybe they did that but then to your point people were like wow but still Right. It's, I mean, yeah. Obama, in a very sophisticated and very dangerous yep. way, because he likes to he likes to you know act like he's you know very sophisticated and understand. You know, people like Rashida Tlaib going out there and 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 you know screaming and and you know being you know somewhat hysterical about things. People expect that, right? And it's so, a Palestinian. Yes, and and you can, you can understand. Okay, yeah, that's fine. You know, I'd rather you not be in the U.S. Congress, but okay, <laughs> you know, you're going to do that. But it's not it's not eloquent and it's not. It's not subversive in a sense because it's right in your face, right? What President Obama does when he talks about it and then he talks about this moral equivalency, but he, but he says, well, you know, but they're in an unbearable situation, the Palestinians. So when he says, oh, this is horrible what, what they did, yeah, but they're in this unbearable situation. And then he does this and then everybody goes, ooh, it's very sophisticated, right? And, and yes, he's right. And it's unbearable. So therefore, like you said, it's almost like through any means, right? Yeah. So what he does, I think, is 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 actually worse because it gives people justification from like this high level sophisticated source. So I don't know where the hell I was going with that, but yeah, I think. Oh, I, yeah, to, uh, to your point with Mossad, um, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what would you do? They've their own effort. They've, they've got their own effort to try to get out there, there to identify the disinformation, to discredit disinformation, to do what they can to get their message out, right? And, you know, they understand they got a PR problem right now. I hate to put it that way, but it's a public relations issue. They understand they've got to be as transparent as possible with what they find in these, in these tunnels. I don't know how much more evidence people need to know over all these years of the tunnel networks used and built by Hamas, again, using money that was supposed to go to clean water projects and building schools for the people of Palestine. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's a, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a shit show. Yeah, that's the word. That would yeah. be the term that we use here. <laughs> um, but so, and then I just had something in my head and it just really cleared. I've got to get the uh, age. Got those. Age. It's yeah. Well, well, I did pick up the, uh, you know, the brain pills that Rogan's been peddling. Yeah. Those, yeah. those are doing good. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard, I actually, I, I've, since that show, I've talked to a handful of folks who said, man, I, you know, I, I use those. Works great. Neurogum and all the th- other things that he's talking about. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll substitute some of that gin in my martinis and try that <laughs> instead, you know. So. You could do both. I, I always say two things can be true at the same time. You you can do both of those. Uh, we'll we'll see that, where that takes all of us. Um, no, but but what what I wanted to get at was, um, so we've got Israel and Hamas going going at each other. It's a Hamas is an, an Iranian proxy. They are. I don't care that the majority of countries do not consider them a, a terrorist organization. When you cross the border and you terrorize people you are a terrorist organization but now israel's fighting that and then they're also taking pot shots from hezbollah in the north from lebanon and now the houthis in yemen have decided to start firing rockets drones and this week they uh they decided you know any israeli owned anything can be taken and so they actually went and took a um i believe it's a uk based but japanese run container ship and yeah, it's, it's under a bahamian flag yeah um, and, israel says um, it's not theirs right they say it's not theirs now the problem the problem with shipping is shipping is very obtuse right and what i mean by that is you know the the registries of ships is it's uh it's a real maze of 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 flagged uh vessels and you know obtuse ownership and everything so you know, the Associated Press came out and said, well, we looked at public databases and, you know, we, we you know, think it traces back to a billionaire, you know, a, a Israeli billionaire. Now, you know, that may be true. It may not be. It may be old data because, you know, we've done a lot of, of uh, my company does, has done a lot of fraud investigations in the shipping industry. There's a lot of fraud in shipping. Yeah. And um, so there's uh, there's every chance that it is actually British owned. There's also a chance that it, it is got some ownership or, or comes back to this is really uh, cat, but uh, point being, you know, to your point, yeah, look, oh, since what, 17 October, there have been over 60 drone and missile strikes uh, on U.S. personnel and facilities by, um, you know, a, a variety of, of militants. But the, what they've got in common is that they're all basically Iranian control. So right. we keep coming back to this same problem, which is the Iranian regime. Yeah, not the people. Great culture, great history, yep. great people. They've been under the thumb of the Iranian regime for way too long. Um, and at some point, we're going to have to figure out a deterrence plan, right? Because we've had three counterstrikes against them and uh, hasn't done nothing to deter these uh, these attacks. Yeah, so how does that, how does what the Houthis did with a container ship not escalate things? I mean, you've got Japan coming out and saying, we want to talk with the Houthis to to try to get the container ship back. We want to kind of have mediation with them. Um, I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's old enough. I mean, it, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just I, I'm old enough to remember when you, you take over a container ship and we we send special forces out and to try to destroy your entire leadership. Yeah, and that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, so we got some noise now. We've got some construction going on. Outside, so it the, adds to the mystique. Outside the compound, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it, yeah, the pirating piracy was a big issue in the Gulf of Aden uh, a few years back, and uh, shipping lines had to figure out how to deal with it. Uh, most of them uh, opted not for uh, a, a 
violence. You know, most of them opted not to. They just thought, well, we'll come up with something better or we'll just let it happen because, you know, it's cheaper than, uh, you know, switching routes. Um, so it, the shipping industry is kind of fascinating. But um, look, there were 25 crewmen on this vessel, none of them Israeli. Um, it's, uh, you know, again, Bahamian flag and run by, operated by, uh, I think it's uh, NYK line, a uh, Japanese company. And um, so, but, but the, the worrisome part here is, is the Houthi militants who have taken those 25 crewmen now. Uh, they said, look, we're going to keep targeting any Israeli ships or any ships of countries that support Israel, right? Which, right. well, if by definition <laughs> broadens this out. So, well, yes, they've escalated the, the, the situation. Again, Houthi militants being, you know, uh, you know under the, uh, the basically an Iranian proxy. And the fact that they lowered their uh, team onto the vessel by helicopter, look, it, it, undoubtedly, these these same uh, you know militants learned how to do that, how to fast rope down on the top of a vessel from you know training inside Iran, right from the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard Corps. So um, at some point, we're going to have to deal in some fashion, either by just putting our boot on their neck in terms of sanctions or something else uh, with the Iranian regime, because you're never going to get stability and peace out there. And quite frankly, there are a number of Arab countries that would be happy to see that Iranian regime gone at some point, right? And yeah, no doubt. So I, I just don't understand how, you know, the White House currently is just, I, I get it, right? They're doing everything possible to not have to blame Iran in any meaningful way. Um, but that tap dance is starting to get a little tired, right? Because everybody knows who's responsible and we're not dealing with the bully, right? Right. Nothing we've done yet is deterrence. Every time we do a strike against a weapons depot in Eastern Syria, and we've only done three, you know, we think, well, that'll teach him. And then the next day, there's another drone or missile attack. So and they don't believe we have the stones, you know, and again, you don't want... Yeah, you know, again, it's it's always a wow. He's warmongering. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you. You know, fine. You want everlasting instability and terrorism and violence out in the Middle East? Great. Don't deal with the Iranian regime in some meaningful way. But we could certainly freeze them out in terms of sanctions. We could certainly make the coffers dry. Right. So it's it's not good to open up ten billion dollars to <laughs> to Iran for humanitarian purposes. Yeah, Mike, I'm a humanitarian guy. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like humanitarian things, so that seems like a good thing to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, uh, when when they announced that they'd extended the sanctions waiver, and by definition they were going to release that ten billion the other day in in uh, frozen assets that were sitting in Iraq. Look, it's for, it's for electricity pay, and you know then John Kirby rolls out that tired line of, well, they're it's only for humanitarian aid. We're going to have absolute control on this. And it's just, it's the stupidest logic you could ever come across. You know, again, as I, I as I, I love your analogy for this. I don't even remember what that was. <laughs> oh, it's, it's are your $6 billion or, or $10 billion for beer. Oh yeah. 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 No, it's true though. If I'm going to spend 10 billion, uh, or if you tell me here, look, here's, here's 10 billion, right? You can only spend it on whatever beer and wings. Um, great. I'll, I'll, that's what I'll do. And then I'll take $10 billion over here that I was going to spend on beer and wings, and I'm going to spend it on ammunition and uh, rocket launchers and uh, training for my uh, proxy groups. It's just it's such a stupid notion, and it kind of shows you that the, 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 the administration thinks Americans are just idiots, right? Or that we're just not curious, or we're not going to think about it, or we're so busy trying to put gas in the tank that we're not going to sit and think, well, that's a dumb concept, right? Um so I don't know. I don't know where this is 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 going to go as far as the White House is with with sanctions. They got to get serious though. At some point, we got to we got to dry their revenues up and make them at least feel the pain there, right? Because clearly the administration's you know, and nobody's keen to say, okay, we're going to you know fire a couple of rockets at a at a Iranian military facility inside Iran. Eh, okay, fine. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> you don't want to escalate, but there are things we could be doing uh, that would make a difference. It's kind of like with Russia. You know, Russia's still got the ability to fight that war because we we we've never really sanctioned their energy industry, right? And the the minor steps we've taken 
they're smart enough to get around and they're getting around it with the benefit or the help of North Korea and China, Iran. Right. And, so. and you know, Russia played it smart because leading up to it, they allowed, so, so they wanted to provide energy to all of Europe. Mm. And they set up all those parameters for energy to Europe. And so you could not, those countries could not sanction the, the energy infrastructure of Russia because that would be harmful for their own people. Exactly. Yeah, you can't. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to dry up your own energy supply going into winter, right? Right. The Russians are smart enough. They they started buying up tankers and you know, and setting up their own fleets in order to get around sanctions. And they so they 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 know how to do this. And and we don't, you know. Again, I go back to what John Kirby keeps saying: every dollar. Look, the government can't organize panic in a doomed submarine, right? <laughs> they can barely figure out how to how to work the IRS. You think we're going to make that happen? You know, overseas with billions of dollars. Uh, in the obtuse world of international finance, it's just, it it, uh, it it is surprising that they think we're that stupid. But anyway, point being, <laughs> we've, yeah. I, so I'm not a I'm not a buyer on that idea that that you know this is a, this this ten billion you know was, and it also was a terrible political optic. Right? They yeah. knew they got their ass kicked for that six billion that they previously right. got from. And now somebody's walking around a White House thinking, you know what? I bet will make the Iranian regime stop their attacks on us. If we give them ten billion dollars, well, I didn't believe that they did it when I first saw the the reports. You know, it was mainly right wing. When I say right wing, I just mean you know more no, conservative. I yeah, news. I thought and, it was a spoof. Yeah, yeah, and and no, they did it. Um, yeah. So so then, speaking of smart people, let's uh, let's counter the smart people because the the Biden administration. Not that I think even Joe Biden wants to be president anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think he could. Just go into a room by himself, and he'd be very happy. Yeah. Uh, but the Biden administration, the powers that be, the money that's behind it, they're taking a hit right now for the support of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so what they see is, hey, we have we have a lot of problems, even with our own staffers who are sending text messages out about how how they are funding genocide in in the in Gaza in the Gaza Strip. So, do do you really think you think that's just public? stuff that that's being put out are are those same conversations having in private because i would see it from from this perspective he's he's the democratic nominee mm. i mean unless something happens he's the the democratic nominee he doesn't have to play to a base and and that pro palestine or even pro hamas base is very left leaning very progressive so he can keep promoting israel and get elected if he continues down that path, because when you come to the presidency, you're going to look for those independents. And, and I would say somebody who's an independent, uh, they are highly in favor of continuing to support Israel. Hamas has a 1% support among all American citizens. So I'm getting to a question here, Mike. Stick with me for a second. <laughs> so then why not continue the support for Israel publicly and say, Hey, I forget about those. We don't have to be Trump. We don't have to pay play to the base to get elected. We can sort of play to the independents and come out on top of all of this. Yeah, I'd like to think that they're, they're that smart um, calculating. I mean, maybe they are. Democrats tend to be pretty good at political messaging. They stick together anyway. Um, but I think that they do look at the poll numbers in the Arab American community and the young, you know, vote and they see a problem. Right? And I think they saw that uh, and you started to see a bit of a shift from the White House where they were really working this delicate dance of saying we unequivocally support Israel, but we also believe there should be a, what, a three-day pause or something. I mean, so they were right. No, and we, and we, we detest the, the loss of, of course, everybody detests the loss of civilian life. What a stupid thing to say. I mean, you know, Except for Hamas, but uh, you know, so yeah, I think that I think that what they're worried about most. I mean, obviously, the Arab American vote is important in, in a place like Michigan, right, a swing state there. Um, but I think that the youth vote is the, the the part of it, the equation that they're really busy trying to figure out and calculate, and just how how long can they walk this line? I mean, they're putting a lot of pressure on Israel, and 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 I suspect a lot of what they're doing you know, which appears to be foreign policy, well, they're talking to Israel, they're doing this, is driven by this domestic 
political concern over here about the election in 2024. It's a bad thing to do. You know, uh, driving your foreign policy based on your own domestic political concerns is probably not in the best interests of the country as a whole. So I think that, uh, you know, you're, you're probably right. I keep thinking that it's insane that uh, the party would nominate, either party would nominate somebody who's going to be 82 in yeah. November, you know, in the elections. So 82 years old, right? Uh, and, but they, you know, unless they can figure out a way to elegantly clear the decks of, of uh, Biden and Hump, uh, Harris, right? Because they, they won't let her rise to the top of the ticket, I don't think. Do you think she stays as VP? I think she'll stay as VP if he stays and, and runs. I, they can't. What are they going to do? Move her out? They can't move her off. They're in a position, right? Where right? No, you know. So you know, I, I think that what, whatever they do, they they either got him or they figure out some clever way, or he steps down. Right? In my mind, the ideal thing for twenty twenty four would be if Biden would say, you know, <clears throat> we're going to. You know, we're moving off. And, he, and they agreed if somehow maybe Harris gets, you know, if she if, if the Democrats win, she gets some cap position or something. And not that she not that she's qualified, but still. Um, but they do something like that. And then Trump over on the other side would say, you know, for the good of the country. And I know that's never going to happen. But, you know, I'm going to step down and uh, it's time for a new generation. Right. You know, just just put it that. But neither of those things is going to happen. No. That's so we're yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting the same. We're getting the same situation in 2024 as we had before. Nobody's happy with it. If you believe any of the polls, you know nobody's happy with with the two candidates, right? I mean, okay, it's again, 2016, except the base, right? They direct right. base. I mean, on both sides. Um, look, I, you know, I, I full disclosure, I, you know, I'm a centrist Republican, and right? I, I, I like border control. I like fiscal responsibility. I like national security. Right. But then just stay the hell out of everybody's kitchen. Yeah. I don't I you know, I don't need to celebrate you. You don't need to celebrate me. I don't need to tell you what to do with yourself. You don't need to tell me. Right. But do the things you're supposed to do as a government. Protect your citizens. You know, have a controlled border like every other nation does out there. You know, how about some fiscal responsibility and 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 by God worry about national security in an important way. But anyway, um, that's just Yeah. Well well, Mike, I'm in DC. No, I can so tell funny. you Oh, box now. I can yeah. tell you fiscal responsibility is not a term used in D.C. a lot. So <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you know that yeah. already. One of that's happening. You're right. It's absolutely. So, but but there is another guy that the Democrats could could promote up. And he's he's got a lot of good um, press in the last week. He was part of the G Biden summit. And I'm talking about the one and only the beautiful <laughs> Gavin Newsom. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of taken over from Beto O'Rourke yeah. uh, as the as the new darling, right, of, of, of some folks in the Democrat Party. He's got good hair. Look, the guy down in Argentina just won, and he was known for his hair. So there you go. Uh, you know, maybe he, it's a thing. He can make a push. Uh, I I do think he is trying to, so especially with the the Biden G summit. And I'd like to get your thoughts on that um, after I shit on Gavin Newsom a little bit more. <laughs> A guy that, that went on a national press conference and said, yeah, we cleaned up the streets of San Francisco. That's what you do whenever somebody comes to your house. You can keep it dirty all you want, but when they come to your house, clean it up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why wouldn't you? No, I know. It was unabashedly, you know, at least he, I guess you could say he was honest about it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, people were saying, are you just doing this because of the, the you know, the Communist Party leaders coming to town? Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't be bothered before. And who knows where the hell they swept all those homeless people to. Um, I, I don't even want to think about it, Mike. Yeah, no, I mean, somehow, somehow, they, but this, this is, you know, this is the world we live in. They're looking at Gavin Newsom and saying, yeah, he's our, he's our backup plan, right? And, and he's, he's done a terrible job, first in San Francisco, then in the state of California. Yeah. And yet he's, the, he's supposedly, now I, I, here's the, the, the caveat to, saying that Biden's definitely in, you know, unless they could figure out a way to move him out. But uh, is that Newsom's trip to China that he made recently? That's the sort of thing you have to clear with the White House and, frankly, with the DNC. 
right, the Democratic National Committee, and you you get the blessing of the politicos involved, right? And they say, okay, fine, you're going to go meet with the freaking leader of China. You're the governor of California. Um, then and and so that tells me that they are trying to set the table a little bit for a possible. And he also was over in Israel, right? He's and and you know if you're running for president, you better have some foreign policy chops or some experience. So he's that's what this game is about, right? And the fact that China agreed for the leader for Xi to meet with him, you know, also tells you where China falls down and what they would like to see in 2024, right? Yep. If not Biden, then they, by God, they certainly want, you know, somebody more progressive than Biden. Yeah. And that's what, that was going to be my next comment to you was just, China, this is not classified. China is an adversary to the United States. They, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Breaking news here. Okay. (laughs) That sounds a little hyperbolic, but okay. Yeah, don't take that for tomorrow's uh, PDB. It just stays here. That's still breaking news. That's right. Yeah. Um, no, but it's it's just really interesting to me because it looks like something that this is what Xi wants, right? Yeah. It, he is making his push for Taiwan. He he wants to get that reunification. He would love to do it art of war style, where you don't shoot, you don't fire a single bullet, right? And you just get it. And, yeah. and like Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. And something like, to be fair, they had Hong Kong, but still, you know, right. But, but now they've kept it suppressed right? and that they can't do anything. Um, and so now using a term that you like to use, Gavin Newsom to me, looks like a useful idiot Mm -hmm. who, who's going to take all this money from China and, and kind of promote China as, as kind of like that hashtag that's been put out that the world is big enough for both China and the U S which China does not believe. Right. Right. Yeah, no, they, they, they look, they, they have a plan, right? They have, they've drawn up a, a, a blueprint, right, uh, for their, their initiative, which is to then be at the top of the food chain in, in relatively short order. We're talking years, not, not decades, basically. So, um, yeah, nothing happens in a bubble in this world, right? It's, right. it's, it's, it's a shrinking place, right? We're, we're so interconnected. And so, you know, the idea that, you know, people would kind of look at it from one side and go, well, Gavin Newsom went over and met with the, the leader of China. You got to look at it the other side and go, well, why would the leader of China want to meet? Because he's he, it's not like he hands out meetings all the time to just whoever happens to stop by. Right? So it's an important part of the, the calculation that we have to look at. And it does it does seem to imply that the DNC and the White House, uh, you know, are looking at this and going, OK, is there a way to hand the baton over right without a messy primary right and because that they you know if, if that god forbid that's not what they want right you can only imagine how many people would throw their hat in the ring if they thought the runway was clear so no that would i mean that would be very interesting it'd be uh, only I interesting i agree with it and you know what it's actually a healthy thing for the for the country people always claim well i can't believe we've got like 15 people in there running why the hell not we should have a lot more than that right we should yeah this it. is yeah this is something that and i'm Say you're moving the conversation along to the way that that I want to do it. You're a CIA guy. This is this is just what you do. You want to make me feel better? Move it exactly <laughs> how I want it to move along. <laughs> but uh, I had an I had an opportunity. Uh, this oh when was this? Last week? Two weeks ago? I was at the, I was in Vegas for the military influencers conference. Yeah. Uh, but but very interestingly, uh, Andrew Yang was there to to do a fireside chat. He is. Um, working with the a nonprofit that's Veterans for All Voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're trying to get ranked choice voting established state by state. Um, and and I, Andrew's a, a guy that I really respect. I think he he sides on both sides. He's more of a you know he's yes he's very he's progressive and and he's got some ideas that maybe I don't agree with, but mm-hmm. there's other things that I really do agree with him. And um and so so he was speaking. And that was one of the things he brought up was he's yeah you know, he's got the forward party that's a new party they're they're not looking for the presidency in 2024 what they're looking for is to go is communities and then get into the communities get some forward party members elected in the community and then and then open it up mm-hmm. to it over the years um, it is that something is that something that interests you having that a third party and a fourth party. I think it's good for a, a republic. It's good for a democracy. 
the forefathers. No, I think I'd, I'd, I'd be hard for us to find a downside if we had legitimate, you know, third, fourth parties. I mean, I, I, again, it's, you know, people would argue, well, we've got the Green Party, we've got libertarians. Yeah, you know, if you look at that, you know, you look at that, that's, I don't know that they've positioned themselves in any way that to ever be meaningful, right? I mean, it's, right. it's okay, they're there and they'll make some noise and take two or 3% of the vote and that, you know, and, and that's an important part of the democratic process because they speak to a certain, you know, part of the voting block and that's, that's good. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to see a legit third, fourth party in there. You know, I'd love to see a party that's, you know, more centrist right. um, and understands that, you know, compromise isn't an evil word, right? You're not always, I mean, how many times do you tell your kid, you can't get everything you want? Right? Yeah. It's the way the world is, right? But, you know, not not now. You know, you're sitting in your, you know, both sides sit there and they can't get everything they want. They're throwing hand grenades, right? So I think uh, that would be great to see something closer to the center ground, right, where nobody seems to live anymore. Uh, but, you know, we got a primary situation. We got a primary system that rewards the, the, the hard edges, right? And... And that kind of then becomes a self-selecting process as to who makes it to the general elections. So I think until we, you know, unless we can figure out a way to beat the primary system. Um, it's a tough one. It's a, tough a lot one. of money in there. Yeah. And, and money's another part. Unless you can get serious kind of you know, finance reform. Um, you shouldn't need hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Right? You shouldn't need $50 million to run for a Senate seat. Right? Yeah. Um, and you also shouldn't be able to stay there for life. Uh, yeah. So, but that's now we're really disappearing down some rabbit holes. So, I well, and and I always say I don't like to, you know, when I when I do this week explained our our weekly podcast, I don't like to bring politics yeah, into right. it. But I think it's important in this situation because it, as polarized as we are as a nation, and and it really is maybe the most polarized we've ever been as a nation. Yeah, that's I mean, a national security issue mm. because because then you have two groups of people that are either right wing or left wing who are constantly fighting and nothing is getting done. And you've got other countries who are adversaries to ours. They're just salivating. And so I, th I no. do think it's important. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think it isn't, it is a, and, and, to, and in part because yeah, they did our outside foes, right? Countries that aren't aligned with our interests, China in particular, Russia in particular, Iran, uh, they take advantage of this. You know, the fact that we're so divided, uh, they see that and they just encourage it, right? China's got a disinformation campaign or a program, an apparatus, uh, basically spamouflage that, you know, they they focus on things like racism, right? And they know that's, you know, that, that, that tears the fabric of the country. So they, they go in there amplifying uh, racist social media, you know, coverage. And, and people read it, go, oh my God. And they're not thinking, oh, but this was sent out by the Chinese disinformation apparatus. They're just thinking, hey, damn that other side, you know. Right. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it's a, it is a matter of national security. I like that. I like the way you put it because it's absolutely true. Yeah, and just picking up off of sort of the, so this happened. I, I believe it came out in 2021 or 2022, but in 2020 during the height of COVID, uh, I think what was found was there were tens of thousands of Facebook accounts that were created by Russian bots. Mm -hmm. But they were all competing accounts, so you would have, you know, pro, you know, promoting. I would say good things, you know, like African culture and Native American culture. My wife's Native American. I will, I'll, you know, fight for for Native American issues all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but they had those, and then they had competing ones where it was like white supremacy Facebook posts. It was all run by the same Russian. Right. kind of disinformation trolls right no it's a big they've got the resources and that makes just perfect sense you don't you know from a tactical perspective you don't just focus on one thing right i mean you're because you, you know you're you're creating the entire story right you're not just pushing one narrative you're you're you know you're working both sides of the chessboard right so if you've got the resources to do that why wouldn't you do it from a covert action perspective so yeah, it doesn't make sense. absolutely yeah yeah. Anyway, Matt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to take, you know, I I just want to take maybe an hour. Uh, if we go over a little bit, if that's fine with you, we can keep we can keep moving on just a little bit. But I do want to get into the, the Russia-Ukraine talk because mm -hmm. I, I keep saying I think 
I'm one of the only people that keeps focusing on that Russia Ukraine. I know you do you do the same on the this last Rogan episode. You talked a lot about Russia Ukraine. Very uh I was kind of I don't know, I was taken aback. I didn't think you guys would get into that. Um and I loved everything that you said about it, it was spot on. Um it, it's what I say on this podcast as well. So I just wanted to ask, do you, do you think Zelensky goes to the table? Do you, do we see a peace agreement because of where it stands as as a stalemate in that war? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean I think I I don't ultimately I don't think he's got much choice, right? The cash is going to the resources is going to dry up before he gets anywhere near doing what he claimed early on was their objective, which was retaking all the lost territory, including Crimea. Right. So and again, I keep going back to the same thing. Putin, you know, he's drawing a red line. He's not giving up Crimea, right? The only port for his, you know, the Black Sea for, for his uh, fleet. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's any way around it. And I think a year ago it would have been impossible, right? Because people were still so excited to wave their Ukrainian flags and talk about how much support. But that's, that time has passed. And I think there's... You know, I think Zelensky is is smart enough, and the Ukrainian you know authorities are smart enough to read the tea leaves. And so, the problem is they really needed to hit this winter time with a with a win, right? They really yeah. need to be kind of going this direction um, in their counteroffensive. And you know, they they did they did well. I mean, look, it's who who is it for us to say that whether they did well or poorly, right? We're not out there in in miserable conditions. And, and fighting a, a Russian army where Putin has no problem just keep throwing people in there, right? That he just, that's the, the thing that he's got going for is he's got a much bigger force, right? And he's, he doesn't care. So uh, I think they balance all of this out, particularly trying to read the tea leaves in Washington, D.C. And yeah, I think that they figure out a way, you know, uh, and ultimately, look, Putin, Putin's not going to get what he wanted, right? He, he right. already realizes that. So he just wants to consolidate where he's at right now, probably, uh, whether that's acceptable. Um, I think if, if the Ukrainians had been able to move forward and retake some of eastern Ukraine to the degree that they wanted, then I think you, we could have gotten to the settlement quicker. But saying, you know, a, you think a settlement is in the works doesn't mean you're pro-Putin. You know, again, people right. have to get more of that stupid mindset. You know, I was like, well, if you're talking about a settlement, then you're obviously pro-Putin. Um you know, and meanwhile, those same people will go out and 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 go to a protest. You know about Gaza. Also, call oh, you a warmonger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trying to stop a war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. We live in stupid times, maybe. But yeah. So I have to answer your question, I think I think Zelensky will probably head to the table here at some point. Um, it'll. We, there's a little bit of left time left, right? And now the, the danger is if you know maybe you know the, the 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 worst scenario is they go into the winter. There is no talk of a settlement. They just, you know, they spend their time and what resources they have trying to hit Russian supply lines. The Russians spend their time, you know, just pounding on energy, you know, facilities in Ukraine, trying to freeze them out and uh, more people suffer. So I don't know. I mean, look, nobody gave a shit when Putin took over Crimea. Right. Nobody gave a shit for years when he had soldiers in eastern Ukraine. Right. So don't give me this crap. From some of these people who, you know, you know, hashtag, you know, Ukraine, you you weren't around doing that. You weren't waving your flag years ago, and also don't you know, don't now stand there all self righteous and say that you know maybe they need to figure out a settlement. You know, particularly when again at the same time you're going out there and going, oh my God, look what Israel's doing. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I agree with yeah. everything there. That I, I try to always caveat the the war, Russia Ukraine war, is is basically from 2012. Yes, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. nobody cared. That's so, why he cared. Yeah. Um. But but my worry as of right now is, especially with the way that the Israel Hamas war is going, and and you know, I will say Hamas is getting some support, and so like I said, Russia or Putin is looking at this like, hey, we're we're pushed to the side, so nobody's going to care what what we're going to do, and oh by the way, the U.S. is is running out of money to give Ukraine and they're running out of the, the support of the American people is waning yeah. to continue to support the war in Ukraine. Um, so my, my worry is on one side, 
before they go to the table for an agreement, Putin says, one more opportunity to take Kiev. And once I get, if I can get into Kiev, there's no talk about a peace agreement. I'm just going to take it, take it over or have the peace agreement, consolidate forces like you talked about along that, that new border. And then two, three years from now, do it again. Because the ultimate yeah, goal is to take. Again, I, I think you're right. I think that last part is 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 spot on. I don't think Putin. You know, look, he's 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 a semi-rational player. I mean, I think there's he's he's gotten his way, and and you know, I'm not I can't speak to his uh, mental stability from day to day, but I think he's a rational player at this point. I don't think he sees Kiev as a as a as an end point. I don't think he sees Kiev as some something he can do anymore. Um, he's lost too much um, in the way of of uh, command and control. Um, you know, a lot of their leadership structure is shot. You know, he's fired or some of them have been killed and um, resources, you know, he's, he's having to go hand and, you know, or hat in hand to Iran and, and North Korea. That probably pisses him off every day. Um, so I don't think that's going to be the case. But, you know, does that mean that they come to some settlement and then he doesn't try the same game, you know, in three or four years? I think that's a definite possibility, you know. And uh, but during that interim period, you know, I'm sure NATO will will have that in the back of their mind as they're you know structuring their forces and worrying about what might come next. But uh, yeah, I, I just I I don't see I don't see Putin making a move on Kiev. Um, I think that's a bridge too far. But but look, I mean, there's there's all sorts of things going on right now um, here in the U.S. We talk about this on the on the PDB uh, tomorrow, so it's a little bit of a preview, um, but. <laughs> You know, some members of the Democrat Party, including Bernie Sanders, there's a shock, are saying that any Israel uh, aid, any more aid to Israel needs to be contingent upon setting um, parameters and setting sort of uh, conditions on military, Israeli military actions. And you're thinking, yeah, I'm sure that's what, you know, the IDF would like to take their operational strategy from Bernie Sanders and Rashida Tlaib and, and others in the squad. Um, you know, if I was... You know Netanyahu, although he's in a difficult political position, yeah. he'd probably say, "I tell you what, you keep your aid. We'll worry about what we need to do to survive, and then we can talk after." But you know, I don't know. We'll we'll see. But yeah, you're right. There is a waning support, uh, and I would argue for uh, Ukraine, it came pretty quick. Right, we're 20 years right. in Afghanistan. I think that fatigue shows in yeah. how quick people have become tired of Ukraine, and now. How some politicians are, you know, although they've got different motivations and reasons for it uh, with Israel. So, yeah. Now, I, w I want to pose a question to you that I, I did post to Andrew Yang, mm. uh, but I think you and his response was was great. I agreed with it, but I think you have a more informed and, and a better response because what I'm seeing recently in in the last few years is um, what I would call this waning support for the intelligence community within the United States mm. from people that at one time at the height of the global war on terrorism didn't they loved the intelligence community they loved the CIA I mean you had Sean Hannity getting waterboarded on Fox News to support you know what what was coming out from CIA black sites that this isn't torture you know it's it's just what we do it and those same people have now flipped and said, you know, the, everything that the intelligence community does is a conspiracy theory, and we need to completely do away with. So, how do we? How do? You, how do you fix that? Yeah, I, you know what? I don't think you do fix it. I think you just continue. I mean, for the IC, right? I mean, if I was the director of the agency, I wouldn't look at it from a how do I fix it perspective. I'd say, okay, you know, fellas, we have to do what we always do, right? It's a, uh, it's a job. You know, we don't care who's in in in, in office. Um, and we get our priority tasking and we go out, we collect the intelligence, we do what we need to do from an operational perspective. And, and then we do the same thing next time there's a different administration and the same thing. We just keep marching on. And, you know, um, look, you can't because you're, you're implying that somehow you can get ahead of the social media wasteland, right? And uh, I don't know how you do that. So I think for the most part, look, people, people have a right to be skeptical skeptical and cynical right you always should be that's not an unhealthy position to take when right. you talk about the intelligence community and and federal law enforcement and these other things right um and you never want a politicized intelligence community ever 
So you you should ask questions. And the Senate Intel Committee, congressional intel committees shouldn't be asking questions. Typically they don't, right? Typically they know what's going on. And then when something happens and they think that their position is threatened, they just pretend like they didn't hear anything or they didn't, you know, didn't have an opportunity to ask questions. But uh, you need a very curious um, uh, public, basically, to always, you know, try and so the degree that you can be, be transparent. But I wouldn't, you know, again, if I was the director, I would say, look, it's it's not our job to fix it. We just have to focus on our job, right? Which is ensuring that, you know, national security uh, issues as defined by whoever sits in the White House. Right. So anyway, it, but that, that's been my issue is it's is it's whoever sits in the White House. So now we're the you know the well, what I mean by that is what I mean by that is it never changes, right? I mean you go overseas to some fourth world country or third world country and, and they rotate people out, right? So I, I hear somebody like whoever, some pundit out there screaming that we have to just clear it out. We have to fire everybody. I said, Oh, oh, you know, okay, commandante, you know, chill <laughs> the fuck out. Right. That's that's Venezuela. Yeah. That's what you do in a fourth world country, right? You don't you don't clear house every time you get a new leader, right? That's not how that's not how you maintain a as close to an apolitical organization as possible, right? Uh, you, you know, you. So anyway, I, I I get the skepticism, and certainly I get it given the way that media and social media work nowadays, right? And how it divides people, polarizes, and plays off those themes, right? And you see someone like Tucker Carlson or or Sean Hannity talking to to their their base, right? Because they're reading the tea leaves and they see, well, my ratings are going to, you know stay up or improve if I feed that, you know, that crowd their red meat. And right now we've we've gotten them into a position where they believe that you can't trust any government organization. So I'm gonna keep chucking red meat at them, right? I'm not gonna talk reason. Or I'm not gonna say, well, you know what, maybe we overdid the uh the 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 not narrative. So I don't know. It doesn't really answer your question, but No, it do- I, it it really does. Uh that is the answer is um you just keep trucking along and, and you keep doing it. But does, does leadership within the agency go out? Because you've got that letter that former mm. uh, or retired officers put out. or They've done multiple, and you said apolitical, and they've done multiple political statements yeah. for one side. Does the agency kind of take them and say, hey, can we stop that, guys? Or do do they just say that they're no longer really affiliated yeah, and no longer affiliated. I mean, they're private citizens, right? They can, you know, they've got free speech just like everybody else does. Um, it's a, it's, you know, I, I, I know some of the people who signed up to that letter, and I know that they feel like, uh, yeah, that was that was a mistake. Yeah. Um, and you know, but look, Anthony Blinken organized that charge, right? Right. He organized that, you know, through Mike Morell, and when Mike Morell, who was very senior and and you know well liked by certainly the people in that letter. Um, when he called as a private citizen to say, look, I'm doing this, and don't you think that, you know, and the, there's a pressure, right, on those individuals to go, well, it's Mike, you know, he's, he's, you know, I worked with him for all those years, he's a buddy, and yeah, okay, I'm, you know, sign up to it, you know, and then there's also the general feeling like, what harm could it do? <laughs> right. Just put without, your name on it. <laughs> that's right. Without realizing that, you know, Hunter's laptop was just as bad as they were saying it was, uh, even worse, and so, um, yeah, but when I say an apolitical organization, I mean the people there, the people on the streets, the people that work there, right? The, yeah. the analysts, everyone, all those people. Now, of course, you get a, you know get a director who gets you know uh, appointed, right? My f- feeling has always been the director of the CIA should always come from within the ranks, right? Yeah. And now here's where I'm subjective. I always think it should come from within the operational side of things, right? You need to understand how the operations director works at its very core, right? So I'd love it when when you get somebody rising up you know, as a DDO, and then they, if they could become, you know, director, I think that's the pathway to take. You don't pull somebody out from somewhere else and say, okay, I want you to be the director of the CIA, because now you're a little bit, you know, your alignment there is shifted towards the White House in a sense, right? And, you know, I, I think that's not a healthy thing. You want the director to have top cover for the agency, meaning you want them to have a, a an open communication with the White House, but you don't want them to be enamored with the White House. So... Anyway, absolutely. Uh, I absolutely agree. And, and Mike, thanks for for coming on. I want to give you a few minutes to plug everything that you're doing. You're like the busiest man in in intelligence right now. Well, uh, I'm certainly not the most intelligent, but I am listening. <laughs> Keep taking those pills out there. <laughs> that, that worked out. Um, yeah. You know what? I appreciate that, man. Uh, no, we uh, 
you know, for all your information and security needs. My God, it's the Portman Square Group. You know, that company's still taking along. It's been my pride and joy, starting a business and keeping it going and growing it and and being able to, you know, hire really smart people, um, certainly smarter than I am, and then see the thing keep living and breathing and growing. We're not taking over the world, but it's it's a it's a great operation. Some of these folks have been with me for years and so that's been a real rewarding experience. And then uh, um, I would just, you know, like you already did graciously, I just plug the president's daily brief um, every weekday. Uh, we got a morning edition. We've got an afternoon edition. Uh, gives you what you need to know in 20 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon, uh, some facts and, and, and uh, context, and then we let you get on your way. Um, that's on Spotify and, and all the other podcast platforms. Yeah, and I absolutely, I absolutely mean it. When I say it, I, I, it's a daily listen for me now twice. Um, and and what I love about it is when I'm putting, so I only do once a week, I can't do every day, but when I'm putting together what I'm looking at as far as going through all the media sources, doing open source intelligence and everything to get ready for our podcast, you're talking about the things I'm already looking at. So now I'm getting the perspective from, you know, the, somebody who was in the CIA that you're not going to get that everywhere. Yeah. Well, you'll get it at the PDB. Yeah, exactly. And there's some great people that work there, uh, the operation that, that uh, runs at first TV.com. Uh, but the, the, the staff there is fantastic. And so, you know, I'm, um, you know, I'm just a, a, a tiny cog in that machine, but, uh, it's, it's been, a re- it's been really good. I've really enjoyed it. I really didn't know much about podcasts. Certainly didn't know what was involved in, in, in doing a podcast. Um, but, uh, it's been, it's been very rewarding and I appreciate you letting me bang out about it. Yeah. Yeah. Joe makes it look easy, but, uh, he makes it look very easy, right? Uh, yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. Well, like I said, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. I hope that didn't take too much of your time. No, I appreciate you, man. Anytime, anytime, just, just send me a note and yeah, let's, let's talk about the crap that's going on in the world. Sounds great. I will take you up on that then. So, uh, excellent. You're about to see me get annoying. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. I'll talk to you later.